Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Drivers Meeting Podcast, hosted by R.J. Starcevic and driver and team owner in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Tommy Joe Martins. Welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast. We're back for another episode, episode number 12. And there were a lot of interesting news that came out this week, and we'll get to that as well as a Q&A session later. Um, we allowed you to send in your questions, and we'll be answering them later in the show. But the first thing we wanted to start off with was an interesting story got put out this week, I believe, by Jenna Fryer, Associated Press, all that. Uh, had an interview with Tony Stewart, and he said he said a lot of things about um, you know, what has happened, uh, cause he, you know, he, he has been in the news a little bit because of Eldora being pulled from the truck schedule, uh, and a lot of other things. But he also said one thing that he, and en- he tried to enter the Bush clash at the Daytona road course and nobody got back to him or he questioned about his, um, his, if he was eligible, he questioned his eligibility and nobody in NASCAR got back to him. So, a lot of other things as well as he was the one to pull the plug in Eldora because he never heard about Bristol dirt. But the main thing about this that I got and a lot of people did get was communication issues. And when you read this little article and saw what he had to say, what were your thoughts? <laughs> I feel like this is literally RJ. We're starting off the podcast with, Hey, Tommy Joe, do you want to get fined? Uh, <laughs> we're basically starting off there. Um, and the thing is, yeah, I guess so, because like I feel the same as Tony Stewart. Like one thing that Tony Stewart and I have in common is what feels like a little bit of a lack of communication at times uh, from the mothership over there at NASCAR. Uh, and, and Tony is a guy to clarify here. So he's trying to run the road course race down there at, at Daytona. Not a points race, fun race, a race literally that exists for the fans that I'm sure would love to see Tony Stewart in it. And he's asking about his eligibility. Why would he not be eligible? And he also remember wanted to run the Indianapolis road course race in Xfinity last year. Now I know that because I went, wow, I'm going to get to race against Tony Stewart. How cool. Like that's kind of a cool thing. Didn't get a chance to do it because COVID Sponsorship stuff, a lot of stuff going on. They kind of locked the field down. I get it. All right. Kind of a weird situation. But here's Tony still trying to follow up on that and can't get a straight answer. (laughs) And so I think this says a couple of things. Obviously, one of them being like lack of communication with NASCAR, but also number two, did they like have the format set yet? Because it feels like we change the format of these things every year. <laughs> so did they have an answer for him yet? Uh, the one that to me is the bigger f- red flag here is the Eldora thing. Clearly NASCAR, clearly SMI knew the direction they were going with this Bristol race. Tony Stewart owns Eldora Motor Speedway. So he has a vested financial interest in, 
in putting on the truck show that, that I think, honestly, it, I, it, I think it's lost a little bit of its luster to fans here lately just because it, I think some of the newness has worn off. But really, I think the trucks put on a great show there each and every year. It's a fun race. It's a, it's a race that people enjoy watching the highlights from. And that primarily goes to Tony Stewart and his really smarts when it comes to preparing that racetrack for a dirt derby. I'm telling you, prepare like we saw just how hard it is to prepare the Chili Bowl. That's a, what is that? An eighth mile indoor bull ring with cars that weigh 300 pounds on it. Okay, now Tony Stewart's got to prepare a half mile dirt track where 3,500 pound stock cars are rolling across it, 36 of them at once. And does an awesome job prepping that track every year. So all props to Tony Stewart here. Like if you want to know what corner I'm on when it comes to this debate, if it's not obvious already, RJ, it's definitely Tony Stewart. (laughs) So the fact that nobody gets back to Tony to let him know, like, either A, you know, we're thinking about doing this kind of thing at Bristol, which, first of all, obviously, I mean, we all kind of know how Tony would would take that at the moment, right? If you owned a dirt race and you were the only dirt race in NASCAR and NASCAR and SMI said, hey, we're going to do another one, of course, you wouldn't like that, but it would still be nice to know about it. And so what it's crazier about this, right, is so us as us and me as a driver, RJ, and you as somebody that covers the sport, this was a surprise to us that the Bristol dirt thing is going on. But it was a surprise to the guy that owns the dirt track that NASCAR had been going to. So if we think it's a surprise and he thinks it's a surprise, how close to the vest were they really holding this? I mean, that, that, that blows my mind that more people weren't in the loop here. Yeah, I think what really shocked me is that, and we've talked about this a lot, you know, the dirt races, uh, the Bristol dirt. Um, and it, it's so many years because this isn't an Eldora wasn't, you know, brand new thing. You know, this has been around for a little bit, the truck race at Eldora. And Tony Stewart, that was one thing that even on the broadcast, they always noted about. You'd see Tony Stewart going out there preparing the track in between, you know, the heats or the races. Um, And he really did a great job and he prepared the track well. And you could tell, and he had said in previous interviews, reports, and you just knew that he wanted to keep renovating and improving this place to eventually have an Xfinity race, a cup race, something bigger um, at Eldora. And I can, I, I mean, I can't even imagine what he would have felt, uh, not just saying, oh, we're considering a Bristol dirt race. Oh, we are actually doing like, we're doing the Bristol dirt race, by the way. And he's probably like, what, you know, like, cause they definitely know what Tony Stewart wanted Eldora to be. And he, they knew that Tony Stewart wanted an Xfinity race, a cup race there, possibly. A cup race being the big thing there, RJ, right? So like he said, all right, well, if you're going to do a dirt race, let us get the first shot at it. Like we've, we've kind of been, we've been doing this thing. Let us do it. And they went, ah, we're doing it at Bristol. And it's like, okay, it's in the, the weirder part of this, RJ, is that they are transforming a track that we have talked about on the show, puts on the best show in NASCAR. And that's not, don't take it from us. Look at the Jeff Gluck 
Was it a good race poll? The only track that had two races in the top 10 was Bristol. So everybody agrees this is putting on a good product. So they aren't just like, hey, we're going to do a dirt race. We're going to do it at the Charlotte Motor Speedway dirt race, you know, at the dirt track. They're not doing that. They're doing it like we're going to convert an asphalt track into a dirt track. It is a, again, a shocking move. I don't know how you describe it, anything other than that. And to Tony Stewart, if this comes in as a shock, obviously you see how shocked the rest of us are. Yeah, um, it was it was a shocking move for sure, and we, we might get back to that later in the show. But real quick, I wanted to uh, note something before I forget. Last week, we ended our show predicting who Colleague Racing would announce in the 16, and I really laughed at this announcement because we failed, both of us. We, <laughs> we did. We missed so <laughs> we <did>. badly. <laughs> we forgot about Kaz Grala. And Kaz Grala will drive the 16 in the Daytona 500. We were sitting here saying Haley, Allmendinger, and Ty Dillon. And Ty Dillon eventually finds his ride in the 96 for Gone Brothers Racing. Kaz Grala will be in the 16. It doesn't look like Justin Haley will be in the show as Jamie McMurray is now going to drive the 77. And AJ Allmendinger, I believe, might have turned down or just won't race uh, in the 500, something like that. But uh, we do know Kaz Grala is a part of Colleague Racing, and it looks like that is a thing. Um, I Because I ended up uh, sending an email to get Kaz on the podcast. And it was a guy that I've reached out before with, uh, to get Anthony Alfredo um, and all that sorts of stuff. And he, he said, Kaz Grala is no longer part of, uh, of us. He's with colleague racing. Now you can email this email. And I was like, wow. So this really is uh, a, you know, a Kaz to colleague deal. And that's interesting because, you know, could we see Kaz Grala run some Xfinity races for them, you know, in, in a fourth car, you never know or something with them because they will have more cup races this season. So, you know, me sitting here, I really thought that would be an opportunity to get Justin Haley in some seat time, some more seat time. Cause he's had it before, but more seat time. And here comes Kaz Grala, which is well-deserved by the way, because his first and only cup star, I believe finished P seven. I would, I'm pretty sure in the, in the three car, just filling in with no practice at the dates on a road course. So really, I really good. Yeah, really good opportunity for Kaz. He will be an open car. He'll have to race his way in, but I think uh, he can definitely get the job done. Yeah, look, Kaz is going to be in a spot where you and I have talked about this. We think the Colley car is going to be one of those that has a chance to make the show on speed, right? To be one of those top two cars to lock their way into the race on time. Uh, and that's great. And look, when I, we talk about nice guys in the sport, Kaz is still so young. But for me, I look at this a little differently, right? I'm involved. I'm a driver. I understand guys are in better equipment than me. I'm kind of a knockaround guy, middle of the pack guy. I know there, there are guys that are younger, super talented. They're going to be great cars. For me, it's more of like a, how are you interacting with everybody, are you a guy that kind of gets along? Are you a guy that thinks a lot of yourself, like kind of bravado? Or are you a little more low-key type of guy? Cass Graal is a low-key guy. I mean, he's really a get-along, nice dude. His best friend is Justin Haley, who is a little more bravado. So it's interesting that they are like, first of all, really good friends. 
But I got a feeling with no information on this at all, to be clear, that there was probably some communication there and some recruitment a la like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade situation going on there where he's like, hey, man, you need to come to colleague. You know, you got to remember, Kaz had been on the RCR campus. The colleague shop is literally throw a football across the street from the RCR campus. It's there. I was there today in Welcome, North Carolina. It's on the main street in Welcome, North Carolina. Huge shop, RCR, across the street, calling. And so they were really close friends. Now they're like in the same building, teammates. They were teammates at GMS before this. That's where they met. And I got a feeling that relationship, RJ, probably played a little bit of a recruitment situation. And also the fact that Kaz made the final four last year in Xfinity and Colic has been very vocal about going to the Cup Series. They have said that is the goal. We are working towards that. We think that to be ready to be a good Cup team, even though this is a dead year, as you and I have talked about, we still need to go in the Cup Series and compete. Yeah. And Kaz has shown he can compete at that level. Kaz has shown that he's a good driver, especially if you put him on a road course. And what his colleague said that they are really focusing on? Speedways and road courses. And so who fits the bill? I, I feel dumber even talking through this, RJ, because you, you or me should have come up with the answer to this. <laughs> yeah, we, we should have. And – there's that. I mean, that wasn't the only Daytona five. We have gotten a lot of Daytona 500 seats filled over the past, I think, just two, three days, really. Um, I mean, we filmed last week's podcast, really having a lot of openings back in the field. And we basically know what the entire Rick Ware racing lineup will look like. We got Cody Ware, who uh, announced was 51 full time. Great opportunity for him because I felt like in his uh performances last year he really excelled in what he was able to do just coming along you know he was racing sports cars and all that and then decided you know he came back ran a few races i ran the xfinity race at uh charlotte roval which he did incredible in and then he ran the race at talladega which he was running top five at the end of the race um and you know unfortunately had a spin on the back stretch but they really and they still finished 19th that race uh, but he was doing really well so I'm, I'm happy for cody where he gets in the 51 josh balicki today Announced he'll be full-time in the 52 car, so great opportunity for Josh Balicki. Great guy, great driver. Excited for him. And now just for the Daytona 500, we know that, well, Joey Gase re-signed with the team. He'll be back. They didn't say full-time yet, but he will. They said he would run the 500, so the only car remaining would be the 53 if they were to put him in there. But that leaves us with the 15, and today it was announced that Derek Cope will return for his final Daytona 500 and drive the 15 car prepared by Starcom, but under Rick Ware racing and he will compete in the Daytona 500. So with all that being announced, that really leaves us. Well, Jamie, also Jamie McMurray announced in the 77 today. So all that announced that really leaves us with the 44 car of NY racing. We have yet to see who will uh, drive for them. Uh, if Tommy Baldwin will enter a car, that's TBD. And if Austin Sendrick will run a car for Penske or Wood Brothers or however they would do that. So we have pretty much filled up 
the field, we're almost there. We're about a driver or two away or a team announcement or two away from really finalizing uh, this list. And we could, we could have up to 46 cars right now. We're about at 44, I believe. And there's potential for more. So it's looking like a hot speed weeks for Xfinity too and trucks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and we've been building to this. It's been the slow reveal of all these drivers. Uh, I'm going to focus on the full-time announcements here, though. So Josh Balicki, Cody Ware, full disclosure, guys that I know pretty well, and guys that I would not have expected if you asked me three years ago, would they be full-time cup drivers? I would have said absolutely not. And I think they would have said that, too, which is what makes this – such a cool day for them and, and Cody getting to drive for his family's team full-time in the cup series. Look, everybody on Twitter, everybody on Reddit, shut up. Like you talked about RJ, the last race that Cody Ware ran in the Xfinity series, top 10 in the rain at Charlotte Roval. I can I mean, you're talking to a guy right here that put it in the fence. All right. Cody Ware finished in the top 10. First ever top 10. It's not like this guy can't drive. I've been saying this for a few years. He doesn't have a lot of experience. He doesn't have hardly any experience. He's kind of been thrown in the fryer. And people want to make fun of the guy for being like, oh, you're dropped for your family's team. It's like, okay, so when they got an open seat, you're upset at the dad for being like, well, here's my kid who I know is talented. I'm going to put him in a car. Well, why wouldn't he? It's his team. He can do whatever he wants. And what's Cody supposed to do? Be like, no, nah, I don't want it. It's like, what? That's his chance to get experience in a car that really should be. And Cody would even tell you still probably a bottom 10 car. Not a lot of expectations, chance to go out and learn. Really, all you're trying to do is just not affect the race, make laps, get experience. Great spot for Cody. And for Josh Balicki, he has got to be licking his chops at the chance to run seven road courses on the cup schedule because there's a guy that is a full-blown road course specialist, and he would tell you himself, that's where I excel. Going to the road courses. Okay, well, congrats, bro. It's now 20% of the schedule in the Cup Series. Yes. Now, what I will say is as a competitor, I'm glad that Josh Balicki isn't going to be in an Xfinity car in these road course races because he was tough, and he and I basically fought each other every single week that we were at these places. Uh, so that's one less skilled driver now that I got to deal with. He's going to be up there in the Cup Series. And when it comes to road course prowess, RJ, I really think he, the guy ought to be. I mean, he's a really good road course racer. And so we talked about this strategy, right? If you're a small team, okay, you know Josh can bring some sponsorship to the table. But if you're now thinking about it in the Cup Series, you go, you know what? Maybe our best shot is really at these road courses. What if we got a specialist there and now at the speedways, we know anything can happen. So now for literally a full third of the schedule, we got a shot at getting a really good run. And I think Josh has found himself right place, right time. He's built the relationships. He stayed consistent with that Rick Ware uh, team up there in the Cup Series. I mean, I know he did a little bit of stuff for Tommy Baldwin and everything, but he's been in the Cup Series now, put himself in a position where he was one of those people for the seat. 
And now he's busy taking advantage of it in, in a kind of a market that has come back to him schedule wise. Yeah, you talk about the road course skill for Rick Ware Racing. You obviously have Josh Balicki, who we know is a very great road course specialist we saw last year. You got Cody Ware, who ran incredible at the Charlotte Roval, stunt sports cars. Okay, he could be pretty competitive on the road courses. Maybe he has a shot at getting a good finish. But then you also factor in uh, James Davison, who's probably going to run some races this year. I imagine yeah. they'll throw him on. You know, they want to get him some experience on the ovals, which he got last year. But I can't imagine they won't throw James Davison on a road course or two. And we know what he can do behind the wheel. Uh, he's Definitely. a very talented driver. So you got a lot of guys that – you know, maybe this, this is, you know, if we're talking just primarily ovals there, there's no reason why Balicki and, and Cody Ware and those guys shouldn't have rides. Cause they're, they're good at that too, but we're looking at a thing how, okay, now we have seven road courses and you got some road course specialists coming out there for you. And it's really cool how maybe, you know, just the changes in these schedules might've changed the complexion of who's getting full-time rides and, and who's not. So I'm really looking forward to it. I know you mentioned Xfinity series road ringers where Balicki, um, you were lucky that Balicki won't be competing against you, but today <laughs> there's a new team in the Xfinity series. You got and road ringer, Jade Buford's going to come drive it. The number 48 car. Um, so if you were looking for maybe a replacement for Josh Balicki on the road courses, you may have found it with Jade, Jade Buford because he had some strong runs last year for, for SS Greenlight. I believe he ran for JD Motorsports as well. But it really just is stacking the Xfinity Series. And I don't know how much – I don't know if you've made – I still haven't made my uh, official you know list of all the cars that have kind of confirmed their entry in Daytona at least – because Daytona is, you know, like we've talked about a lot, really the deciding factor for people's seasons, you know, going into this season. So we haven't, there, there's there been a lot. I know Chris Cockrum uh, in the 25, you know, he's he's at Daytona every year. So he's coming back for, for there. Um, and then you got the new team, the 48. But man, this is, I know this is something you've probably been paying attention to because the more cars for Daytona, you got 36 spots you guys are going for. And it is going to be an interesting day of qualifying for sure. Uh, definitely. And have, I know you haven't made the list. Don't worry. I've made the list for you. Uh, it's, getting, it's getting deep. But the news that I saw today with this 48 team, which congrats to Jay Buford, who did a good job on these, on these road course races last year. In fact, he and I basically took turns spinning each other out in a couple of races uh, where Jay and I got into each other. Nice guy. And I'm happy for him. Scott Borchetta. This is, this is kind of following a trend right now where, and I know we're probably going to talk about it here in a little bit, kind of the Pitbull announcement earlier this year or earlier this, this week and over the weekend, Pitbull signing on to be kind of a, a co-owner of that uh, new 99 team in the Cup Series uh, over there at Trackhouse Racing. That was big news for the sport, right? Kind of attracting these bigger profile people. Well, the owner of this new 48 team in the Xfinity Series Scott Borchetta is a high profile owner. Maybe it's a guy that you don't know right now. The casual person doesn't know, but he is a major label owner in Nashville and in the country music scene. We're talking about a really influential big name guy when it comes to country music. Uh, and now he owns an Xfinity series team. So that big machine uh, racing label for this team, uh, that's his record company, big machine records that has sponsored the Indy 500 and other races uh, where you probably some big machine vodka. That's all Scott Borchetta. 
So now to see him owning a team and, and doing it with a crew chief in Patrick Donahue, who has kind of come in as the leader of this team, who was the crew chief for the 08 team last year. Jade Buford was the driver for the 08 team for SS Greenlight. So you can kind of see how all this stuff was kind of fitting together behind the scenes. And now they go and start this new venture. But important thing for me, RJ, as an owner and as a driver, they purchased the points to the number 93 car. So that was one of the ones that we had circled as like a, what's going on with this? It's no longer associated with Ryan Seag Racing. That had been taken over by Josh Rayum. What's going on with this 93 car? Well, now the question is, is there still going to be a 93 car or is that now just the 48? And I haven't done my research on that part of it, but it seems like it's just going to be the 48 car for now. Yeah, uh, I think that was really a thing because we know how uh, Josh Riome took ownership of the 93 car about midway through the season. And there wasn't really interest in Ryan Sieg racing to, I, I saw something where they could possibly run a second car somewhere. I believe Chris Knight reported something about that, but I, I don't think there was really interest probably from their team in bringing back a second full-time car since they just, you know, shipped it away. Um, but that was probably maybe a decision for, uh, Josh Riome. you know, he's got his truck team still going, uh, they'll be running uh, a part-time driver schedule, at least kind of having a swapped driver lineup this season. They already got some dirt ringers, I guess, set for Knoxville and Bristol dirt ready to go, but that's all I've seen, uh, for their team. Um, I know for trucks, I just did want to mention, uh, just for all, since we will have some listeners maybe hoping for a Q and a, and hopefully a lot of Norm Benning fans out there. Cause Norm Benning, uh, announced or said in an interview today, that the goal is to run full time, and I know that's not huge news to maybe some people, but a lot of a lot of people love Norm Benning, so I thought I'd throw that in there that Norm Benning is trying to run full time, and and he said if if they can get the correct sponsorship, obviously the sponsorship leads to more races. So if there's anybody out there that wants to sponsor uh, Norm Benning and wants to see him run a full season, go for it. But look, Norm has kind of become the everyman in this, right? And and. RJ, one thing I love about our podcast is it doesn't matter if it is Jimmy Johnson announcing he's going to IndyCar or it's Norm Benning announcing that he's going to try to run full-time in the truck series. We're going to try to talk about it. We really want to try to cover the totality of the sport. And I think Norm, more than anybody else, maybe in the entire sport of NASCAR, has endeared himself to the hardcore fan by simply just refusing to quit. He has every reason to stop doing this. It's really expensive. He hasn't been very competitive. Has he had a lot of speed? No. Does he have a big budget? No. Is, ever, is he young? No. <laughs> like, is he going to be guaranteed into the races? No. Like, he has every reason to stop doing this. And he's going to show up. He's going to keep trying. And so that endears you to fans, especially people that are around the sport a lot. So, look, we all want Norm to be a part of the sport. We all understand the dynamics that are at play here, the people that are involved with it. And I would love to see Norm get a sponsor, especially for some of these races where we know, RJ, anything can happen when you go to Daytona. 
Anything can happen when you go to Talladega. It feels like anything can happen. We go to the Bristol dirt race and there's a spot where Norm has shown and, and, and I've talked to guys that were on his crew that said, look, Norm circled Eldora and said, I don't care what happens the rest of the year. We might buy only one set of tires when we go to Michigan. We're just going to ride around and try not to hit anything, right? We understand the limitations we have at most tracks. When we go to Eldora, I don't care if we write off the entire truck, we're going for it. And like, that's cool. There's something kind of cool about that. It kind of like slugging through it to get your one chance and so I'd like to see Norm have that. I know a lot of other fans would too. Yeah, there's a lot of veteran uh, veteran announcements, you know, in the last few days. You know, I'm just looking at the last uh, six posts that I put out. You got Tony Stewart here. You got Jamie McMurray coming back. You got Derek Cope coming back. Uh, I believe Derek Cope is 62 years old, correct? That's what I saw today. Yeah, 62 years old. Are going to run the Daytona 500. The sec- he'll be the second oldest to enter the Daytona 500. I believe the Daytona 500 champion, yes. by the way. Daytona 500 <laughs> put champion. Some res- put some respect on, on, on his name yeah, here. Two, two 500 champions today that made announcements. Jamie McMurray, you know, him being his Daytona 5 champion, and... Derek Cope, former Daytona 500 champion. So we will put that respect on Derek Cope as he goes for what they they did say will be his final Daytona 500. And we all know he's the owner of Starcom Racing as well, uh, which fields a double zero of Quinn Half. But more truck news this week. Uh, it seems like a thing that happens every two years, or at least every three years. Uh, Thor Sport is switching manufacturers again. Um, they are, they are departing from what else is new. Yeah. They're (laughs) departing from Ford and moving to Toyota. So, and you know, we'll see how this goes because it was an interesting year for Thor sport because we know, you know, Matt craft and he did get a win grant and finger did pretty solid this year. Ben Rhodes did have a very solid year, but it was notable that Johnny Sauter did not have a good year at all, you know, and, and Matt Crafton got eliminated before the final four, but it's not like they had a horrible year either. You know, it, they just weren't super dominant really anywhere. You know, none of them really were able to dominate a race. Um, Grant Enfinger, Grant Enfinger's wins. I mean, he, he's a great driver and he did well most of the season, but Grant Enfinger's wins were just bam, final restarts, pulling them, you know, shooting out to the lead. I think at Richmond, he, he led a good amount of the race, but we know Martinsville was a crazy beaten banging race and he just got himself there. Uh, somehow that was incredible to watch, but they moved to Toyota and Toyota didn't really have a good year last year in the truck series, you know, with Kyle Busch motorsports really is their flagship team and they did not do very well. And, and it's really going to be a new look definitely for Toyota. If they do, you know, get Thor sport, they'll have John Hunter Nemechek in the four Chandler Smith in the 51. Um, so room for, you know, lots of changes, maybe a Toyota racing room for hope uh, that they could do pretty well this year, but it was an interesting move. But like you said, you know, what else is new? Thor sport, Thor sport seems to be switching around a lot, but in the truck series, it doesn't seem like that's a huge move. But one thing I did notice is that I believe, you know, they've sold their Fords off to some people. I think two of the notable buyers was Jennifer Joe Cobb got a Thor sport truck or two and CMI motorsports got a Thor sport truck or two, uh, Thor sport Ford. So it'll be interesting to see how much they succeed at Toyota. I mean, I don't, I don't see anything really changing right off the bat, especially if they keep the same driver lineup, which it looks like they, they may. Yeah. So this to me, reading into this and, and full disclosure here to everybody, David Pepper is my spotter 
in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. He's also the spotter for Corey LaJoy in the Cup Series. Was, anyway, with the 32 car. Uh, now he is going to be spotting for BJ McLeod's team in the Cup Series. But he's also the general manager of Thorsport, right? So this is... And I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth here, but what I gleaned away from this was that this was kind of an opportunistic move that Ford made over to Thorsport, kind of Ford approached Thorsport last second. Thorsport was actually pretty happy with Toyota, but when the spec engine deal came down, it kind of worked where like Ford wasn't going to have any teams, right? So then they kind of jumped on Thorsport because they wanted a flagship team in the series made a lot of sense, right? And and Thorsport knew they had to go towards the spec engine, even though they, they were really the ones kicking and screaming about it. They were the ones screaming about trying to stay with Toyota, with their engine program. They really liked what they had. All right. So now fast forward a couple of years, and here we are. Now David Gilliland Racing is much more established in the series, right? And now they're the Ford team. It, it feels like they're kind of the Ford team. And I could see how uh, kind of an owner like Duke Thorson, who is very independent and really doesn't give a crap about any of this, RJ, to be completely honest, Duke Thorson just wants to run good. That's all he cares about. So he probably surveyed the landscape and said, you know what, Ford isn't doing as much for us as, as what we feel like Toyota was doing. And I think Thorsport kept a pretty good relationship with Toyota. And if they went, you know what, we don't really have to run Ford. <laughs> you know, we could go back to Toyota. We don't have to sell our motors, right? Like we don't have to do anything. It's still the same spec motor. All we got to do is change some bodies. And I got a feeling they looked at that and felt like we're going to get more out of this Toyota relationship than we're getting out of the Ford relationship. And that's simply it. And looking at the landscape here, RJ, you can see how that's probably true because what we know is that, hey, here's the elephant in the room. Haley Deegan is running a truck. And we all know that this Ford thing is going to revolve around her and that DGR deal down there in the truck series. And that that's where the perspective is going to primarily be focused from the manufacturer. And so Thorsport probably saw that and went, you know what? we think we got a better chance competitively with a Toyota Alliance. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see the uh, complexion of the truck series. I know uh, trucks are getting, uh, they're getting a lot of trucks. Xfinity's getting a lot of cars, but um, we're going to move over uh, to what was really, I guess the main focus of, of this episode, we're going to do the Q and a. So if, uh, if you didn't know, I, I sent out a post, uh, about yesterday on a story. It was requested a lot from, um, from the fans that watch the podcast, uh, which is great. Love to hear your input and all that. We sent on a Q&A, so you could send in your questions and we'll answer them, kind of rapid fire-ish discussion on here. Um, so we're going to start off here. Uh, somebody asked, what is the biggest surprise you would think uh, of for this year? Whether surprise driver, surprise team, uh, in any series, I'll let you go first. Ooh. So first of all, love the fact that we're doing this. And thank you to everybody that has submitted these questions and everything. We, we love the interactivity of this and, and being able to kind of uh, get some, some inspiration from you guys that are listening. And thank you so much for doing it. Uh, biggest surprise of this year. And, and, and RJ, when you ask this, is this, this, are we talking about a driver? Are we talking about just like in general, 
what is going like because uh, that that's kind of a wide question. I think first tier, first tier, we could go. So we could start with surprise, surprise driver. Let's go with that. Oh, who's going to be the surprise driver of the year, right? So let, let's focus in the Cup Series first. Um, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised if Kyle Larson has a big year, right? Like everybody's kind of, in a way, kind of expecting that. So I, I guess now my brain is thinking about who do I think could have like a sneaky big year? Who's the guy we're not thinking about that could maybe have a big year? I immediately, I got to think about, okay, who are the guys that are moving into top level equipment for maybe the first time yeah. or at least the first couple of years where maybe you could see like a, a, a big growth uh, from that. Who's primed. I think Alex Bowman's kind of primed for a year. If I'm thinking about this, like Alex has been really good. Uh, the problem is like you're judging him against now Chase Elliott and, and Kyle Larson on the same team. But I think I really think Alex Bowman could surprise some people this year. I think he could be a contender for more wins and advancing in the playoffs further than you think he probably would in that 48 car. We know a lot of pressure, but I really think Alex Bowman could deliver with that and surprise some people this year. He's not a name that you just pencil in, but he's really he's a, he's a guy that really could surprise some people this year. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with kind of more low profile, maybe middle of the field uh, as a surprise for me or a potential surprise. I'm, I'm going to have to say Eric Jones in the 43 car. I'm going to I'm looking at him as a guy where nobody really expects to do anything. But I feel like if anyone is racing, you know, with redemption this season, I would say it's Eric Jones. You know, we, Eric Jones gets booted from Joe Gibbs Racing. Now he's at RPM. And we know they don't have the strongest cars in the world. But I think Eric Jones is a driver that could be able to get something out of him. I think Eric Jones could have a, a year like that this year. Maybe maybe Daniel Suarez becomes a surprise this year uh, with Trackhouse Racing because we know it's kind of like a third RCR car. But how strong will they be right off the bat? How hard will they go? You know, and we know... They're, they're going all for it with their business model. They got Pitbull on board. You know, we know Justin Marks is is big time on this. And I think he's done a great job with the team in such little time to get this put together for this season. I think they're ready to go. I think Trackhouse is ready to get something done this year. And Daniel Suarez is an Xfinity Series champion. People forget that. This guy won an Xfinity Series championship about four or five years ago in 2016. So... Right. And, and also to, to, to your point here, RJ, what's the level of surprise, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we, at least on this podcast anyway, we have really tempered the expectations on several of these new teams where we've gone, you know, look, it's cool that Trackhouse is doing this. It's cool that 2311 is doing this. It's cool that BJ McLeod's team is doing this. It's cool that all these new teams are entering the sport. Uh, you know, the Spire Motorsports team is upgrading their stuff. And we've also been like, you know, uh, is it going to really change that much, right? So to your point here with the Daniel Suarez conversation, if if I said Daniel Suarez finishes 20th in the points at the end of the year, I would say that would be a surprise. Like that would be a, wow, okay, he probably, he did better than I, than I thought. So that's probably fair. I guess what we're asking here is like, what's the level of surprising? I, I wouldn't be freaked out at all right now 
with my pick, Alex Bowman, if you told me Alex Bowman wins four races next year, I'd be like, yeah, that does that sound completely out of the realm of possibility? No, but would it surprise people? Absolutely. I think it, it I think it would surprise people in the industry. And I think it's going to take an effort like that from him and from a guy like Daniel Suarez, kind of this like overachieving image to really secure them for the future. I think both of them are kind of in make or break years. Yeah. So another question here, uh, looks like they're asking about three of the young guns in the series. It's a dinger says who wins first chase Briscoe, Bubba Wallace or Daniel Suarez. Now, this is a very interesting question because these are obviously we got two new teams here in Suarez and Bubba, and then you got Chase Briscoe, who's the rookie coming along. And just because we know what the 14 car is capable of, and we have yet to see 2311 racing and track house on the field. If I were to say, and with the Daytona road course being the second race of the season, if I had to say right now, who's going to win first Briscoe, Bubba or Suarez, Gonna have to go with my gut and say Chase Briscoe. I'd I'd say most likely if we're gonna get up first one of the season, what you know, you gotta compete with Chase Elliott, but maybe Chase Briscoe can go ahead on the dates on a road course and get him some. I don't know. Yeah, look, I love Chase Briscoe as the pick here. If you're asking me, I, I'm always gonna look. <laughs> Each time we're talking about this, there are a few teams in this sport that are the powerhouses when it comes to the manufacturers. It's Hendrick for Chevrolet. RCR is great but they're not Hendrick. Stuart Haas is the marker for Ford. And Joe Gibbs Racing is the marker for Toyota. So one of the drivers that you're talking about there is associated with one of those four or one of those three flagship teams. And that is Chase Briscoe. So when you're asking me who's got the potential to win, it's Chase Briscoe. He is with the flagship manufacturer team in the Cup Series with an endorsement from Tony Stewart and, and coming off a remarkable year in the Xfinity series where he won a bunch of races. So he has got to be the pick of those three love Bubba love what they're doing at 2311 love what they're doing at track house. But this is clearly chase Briscoe is the pick for who you think is going to win. Yeah. So another question here uh matthew yatzun asks what track do you like the most and you being the driver i'll i'll let you go first what is your favorite track it's got to be darlington and it's for all the reasons why you should hate it (laughs) it is the hardest track in the world it is the hardest on tires it is the hardest on strategy um managing that through the course of a run passing people is incredibly difficult uh just keeping your car out of the fence all day. The the duration of the race is really 200 miles and it feels like 600. I have no idea how guys are on the Cup Series race for 500 miles there. That is incredible to me. 200 miles and I'm prying my hands off the wheel. Uh, but Darlington also uh, is where you gain more respect than just about any place that we go. Uh, and and there is such a history there uh, and, and a reverence that I have for that place that when you, when you walk through the doors there, you go, you know what, I'm in a really special place for our sport and you approach it as such. And the fact that we're going there twice this year is just, just the cherry on top of the Sunday for me. I think it's awesome. 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a driver, but I, I nod my head a lot at what you said, because if I were to pick um, in my situation, my favorite track to watch, I mean, to it, if on my bucket list to go to, and when I want to hop on my iRacing simulator and drive around, Darlington is so much fun. I mean, it, it's so much fun, yeah. just like you said, for the reasons you should hate it. It's so tough to drive. I mean, there's tracks that I'll hop on iRacing for to race with other people um, in races, but I'll have fun just doing a, uh, a test session by myself, running Darlington, challenging myself. I mean, I think it's really fun. I, I took an Indy car out on Darlington on iRacing a test <laughs> session. That is a blast. It is a blast. I believe it. tried it, you got to try it out. Uh, I think because you got to put a specific setup in there. Usually it's just like a mile and a half setup works, but it is fun because obviously you're going at a much uh, quicker speed and you can full throttle it through turn one, but you know, it's not just your ordinary turn one. It's dar- it's turn one at Darlington and you fly through there and oh man, it is so much fun, but I love Darlington just to drive around um, on the iRacing simulator. I mean, you said the same thing about being on there in, in reality. Uh, I would definitely pick Darlington as my favorite track. Uh, just really quick to follow up with that, RJ. There, there's parts of that that the, that the fans don't even see that are still – that just make it even harder. Getting on pit road is hard. Yeah. Pit oh, road is so far down to the inside of the track, you can't see it out of your window net. Your only reference is uh, on the outside wall. Denny Hamlin won the race last year and missed – or a couple of years ago, missed pit road. Here's the guy that won the race. He missed pit road. It is so hard. Everything that you do at this track is impossibly difficult. And so to win there and to win the Southern 500, there's a reason that is a crown jewel for NASCAR. And and it should be, and it should always be. And and if I had my choice, and I told Kerry Tharp, who is the president of that track now, if it was up to me, there's only one place that we would settle the NASCAR championship and it would be at Darlington at the end of the year and a 500 mile race there, the Southern 500 as the championship race, there is nothing that would test a driver more than, than that. Yeah. To win it, to win a championship after racing at Darlington. I mean, that might just be an incredible feeling for, for somebody. I mean, it's a, it's tough track. Um, and I know when people win at Darlington, it seems like, I mean, Chase Briscoe's win at Darlington this year. We know how much fight that took. Uh, we saw the ex- the second Xfinity finish there between Hamlin and Chastain and Brandon Jones wins. Yeah. Um, the way the cup race finished this year with Truex and Elliott hitting the wall and here comes Kevin Harvick. I mean, it's it's crazy. But I have a, an interesting question here. And I'll let you start because if people remember from the to Jamie Little podcast, um, I remember you saying how you want you were wanting to get into journalism and reporting. So this person asked, how did you get into reporting? And I'll let you start maybe if you want to talk about uh, kind of your your journey in, in journalism reporting or how much you were really doing back back in the day or like you said if you want to detail on that. <laughs> yeah so i went to i went to school at the university of mississippi at Ole miss for journalism that's what i wanted to do and i'm i'm one of those weirdos that actually went to college knowing what they wanted to do <laughs> most people kind of go there and figure it out but i knew what i wanted to do i like telling stories i like writing i liked reading that, that's really what i enjoyed the most and and, and i love the sport of nascar so for me, that was kind of my way for it to kind of intersect and got involved in the student media center there. I would tell uh, whoever wrote this question, look, get in, get involved. Like people will always take the help. Now, look, you're probably not going to get paid for this, especially in this industry at the beginning of this. You're not, you're not really going to get paid, but you're going to get experience. You're going to get reps. 
you're going to get time in front of a microphone. So like we talked about doing this podcast, RJ. And, and the thing is like, I'd already done broadcast work. I'd been in front of the camera. I'd been behind a microphone. I've kind of hosted my own stuff. I've done this stuff before. And so it was a natural fit, but, but you're only going to find that out and you kind of find out your niche could be writing, could be broadcasting, but you're going to find that out by doing it, getting involved with it. Um, so if you like to write, write. There's so many guys now, I think about a guy, Dustin Albino, who is now employed by J-Ski, who is breaking news constantly. Well, Dustin Albino worked for Peanuts there for a few years and was really the guy like busting it in the garage, doing a lot of that reporting that got shared by bigger reporters. But he was the guy on the ground doing a lot of that grunt work in the Xfinity garage, talking to guys like me, talking to guys on smaller teams, getting all those scoops from the majority of the garage. That got him the credibility, that got him the resume, and that eventually got him the job. So just get involved. I mean, you love it. You want to be a part of it. Think about ways to tell stories that people aren't telling. That makes you interesting. That makes you different. Maybe that puts you in a place where you can succeed. Yeah, I think the thing I love about NASCAR, and you know, it, we haven't, I haven't really seen how it is with other sports, but the thing I love about NASCAR is it just seems so accessible for uh, people trying to get in the sport for, uh, for a reporter, you know, for an aspiring reporter like me, I felt like it's just been so much, so more, so much more accessible than it would be in like the major league baseball and the national football league, uh, the NBA. I feel like NASCAR is so much more accessible because you have number one, you got so many divisions, right? You know, you could go up to an ARCA guy and talk to them. Like, you know, I've never, I've never had a one-on-one conversation with, uh, with Chase Elliott, NASCAR Cup Series champion, but I've had one-on-one conversation with um, Josh Rion, Bailey Curry, that I've enjoyed. And it's, it's really awesome to hear those guys' stories. And, you know, for me, I know they asked, how did you get into reporting? I mean, this was just an Instagram thing, right, that, that I started up about five years ago, six years ago, when I was a kid, I was just bored. Uh, I was probably like 11 years old when I started doing this stuff. And look, it, if you went back 11, six years and saw how the page looked six years ago, <laughs> it's way different. It looks a lot different. And there's been, I feel like I'm still able to learn so much, um, you know, as, as I've kept going. And that's it. it looks and, so and, by, and by doing it, how much has it evolved? Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, yeah, that's one thing that I'm, I'm really proud of is it's, a, it's evolved and it still does, you know, to this day, you even go back a year ago and it, it's different, you know, and this year I felt like really changed. It really hit a spark. And uh, once COVID hit, you know, I was able to, I believe the first uh, one-on-one interview I had had, you know, with a, a video chat was with Josh Riome. Uh, we did like an Instagram live after that. It was Anthony Alfredo. And then I really started to get into, you know, because before I was just a kid posting about NASCAR, posting results and, and news. And that's something I enjoy just typing out stuff. And now I feel like the past two years, I've really gotten into, you know, like, okay, maybe I really want to do this. You know, I really want to do this. And I love NASCAR. And uh, in February, I went down to Daytona, got to go in the garages. I, I was able to talk to Derek Cope, uh, Jerry Baxter, uh, Vince Welch, some other guys in the garage. And I was like, man, this is really fun. I love talking to these guys. And I would love to, like you said, like Dustin, Al- Dustin Albino did, go around and talk to the Xfinity guys, talk to the ARCA guys. That's that's what I did too. After the ARCA race, I was able to talk to uh, Michael Self, Haley Deegan, all those people. 
but man, it was just really, really awesome. Um, that this year, you know, with all this zoom video chat, I'm glad I've been able to be introduced to this. Cause obviously this is how we record our podcast. This is how I've done some interviews, um, in the past with, with some people. Um, then we had the, not even, not even totally unrelated to, to the journalism spectrum, but then we had that big iRacing event, um, uh, that I just put together and somehow just exploded in April. And yeah, it's just, it's just been crazy. I mean, six years ago, it was kind of just a thing where I was just a kid and I kind of wanted to have an account to post about NASCAR and just post race results with some little, uh, spiffy edits i guess you know and, and now it's like man I've, I've really decided this year i'm like man i really want to do this you know we've got this podcast going now we're you know and employed by an actual network you know believe podcasting network of course can't thank them enough for bringing us along that's awesome i thought that was really cool what because you saw the the tweet that they put out i didn't even yeah. do that for us i thought yeah, I, for a second, chop I thought, it up and edit it and post yeah. it and yeah i love it I thought I was going to have to do that for a second. And then I saw there was like, they tagged me and I was like, oh shoot, what's going on? And I clicked on it. And I'm like, wow, they really got this for us. You're like, oh my gosh, we're, we're a professional <laughs> podcast. How does this we're look? Yeah. But, but I think it's really cool. RJ, what you're talking about is kind of the journey of this. And, and that's what I would encourage anybody that's looking about getting into the industry. Understand that you're not going to get into this at the top level. And that, that's, I'm not the first person to say something like that. It's just that there are so many stories that guys and girls would love to tell you about the industry that's going to kind of help you find your niche in both the racing world, but also like your style and finding your style is so important to this, uh, to really kind of have a career. Yeah. And there's so many things, you know, back to the first point that I kind of made that there's so many NASCAR is so accessible to do things. Cause I feel like there's, there's so many things you can do. There's so many different communities, you know, you got people that do stuff on Instagram. You got people that do stuff on YouTube as well. Um, and there's so many different jobs you can get. I mean, you can be a PR manager, you could be a, a, a crew member, you know, you could work for teams, work for the sport, uh, work at tracks. I feel like it's, there's so many things you can get into that really excites me. Like, Hey, if this doesn't work out, maybe I could do this in NASCAR or do this in NASCAR. It seems really cool, but I'm, I'm, I've just been really glad to, to get connections, you know, this year, uh, obviously having the podcast with you. And, and I think, um, not even a few weeks ago, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was having a Q and a in my comment section. I was just, I was doing something and I come back and I got like, 10 comments notifications from Dale Jr. And he's just in there replying to people about, about iRacing, which is really cool because he's really passionate about that. But I'm like, man, this is really uh, taken off and hopefully it, it goes somewhere. But yeah, for all the people watching this, and I know there's a lot of people that would love to do stuff in NASCAR. It is a, it's, it's a lot of fun and we can, we can both speak on that. NASCAR is an awesome sport. Once you get into it, once you're at the track, you know, it's so different once you're at the track, it's one thing to just do stuff on yeah. Zoom and that, but Man, there's nothing like being at a racetrack. I tell you what, and I hopefully I can't wait to go back this year. It's my first uh, race. I should be going to the Homestead Miami weekend, so that'll be awesome to be back there. But yeah, there's nothing like being at a NASCAR track uh, for sure. And anybody can tell you, uh, it's there's nothing like it. Feeling the feel, the feel of race day, the feel of cars going by, garage area. It's awesome. But um, we'll move on to one of these other questions here. Um, let's see, is Kyle Busch a first ballot hall of famer? Yes. Yes. 
Wait, are we doing this? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so here's the guy that he's the winningest driver in the history of the Xfinity series. He's the winningest driver in the history of the truck series. He's a two-time Cup Series champion. What are we talking about? I don't want to belittle the question here. It's just like, look, you understand that there are people that have resumes way weaker than that that are already in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yep. And and a question we could follow that up with right below it is, will Kyle Busch bounce back? Because we know he did not have a very strong year this year. Crazy. You know, you'd think – anyone, you know, in their right minds would think, okay, Kyle Busch is going to bounce back this year. I mean, we almost saw that winning Texas. I mean, how that kind of boosted the team. Uh, I think he had a pretty solid run at Phoenix as well to end the year. Um, but if I were to say yes or no to that, yes, I, I think Kyle Busch will bounce back in 2021. I'm always going to bet on Kyle Busch is going to be my answer there. Yes. Without a doubt. You cannot bet against Kyle Busch. So who of this year's rookie of the year contenders will do better this year? So we're talking about Tyler, probably the big three, uh, since John Arnimacek is off to the truck series now. Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer, and uh, Christopher Bell. And Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer are still in their rides, right? Reddick with RCR in the eight, Cole Custer with Stuart Austin 41, but Christopher Bell now moves to 20, Joe Gibbs Racing. So are we expecting more? Because rookie of the year, the rookie of the year was Cole Custer. Uh, because he got the win at Kentucky. In overall points, it was Tyler Reddick. But now Christopher Bell is at the big boy ride, the number 20 at Joe Gibbs Racing. Does that change anything right away at least? You would think. You would think, okay, Christopher Bell slotting into that Joe Gibbs ride. Just like I talked about earlier, who are the people that you pick at those top teams that you say, okay, they're going to be in a position to succeed. And at the same time, Eric Jones was in that same car last year. And how would you rate his year? I mean, not good enough that he kept his ride. He's down with Richard Petty Motorsports now, which everybody agrees is a little bit of a downgrade, right? So, all right. How do I want to rate this? Gosh, it is hard for me to bet against Tyler Reddick right now. I just felt like it was stellar what he did in that eight car last year. The question is, Tyler, being what he is, is the organization going to be able to keep up with him? And, and this is RCR. They are a great organization. I think yes, but man, it's tough to bet against Joe Gibbs, RJ. I think this is a really tough question. This is probably the toughest question we've had. Cole Custer is really overlooked because he is a quiet kid. Cole Custer is awesome. He is Really, really, really good. There is not a bad pick here. Like all three of these are extremely talented drivers. If I had to lay my money on somebody, it would probably be Christopher Bell. I think he's going to be in an awesome car. He's going to be in the best car of the three, I think. That's probably where I put my money. But man, that is really tough. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It, it's tough, but... Uh, I agree with, with what you said about the rookies. I mean, it's going to be a competitive year for them. I mean, we can we can still kind of group those three together. You know, once you kind of pass that rookie season, they kind of spread out. But to me, looking at the season, I still kind of keep those three guys together just because of their history in the Xfinity Series too. You know, that championship battle. Uh, I feel like those three guys are kind of secretly still kind of competing against each other uh, in the Cup Series. So one question here we can kind of answer factually and not 
uh, thinking. They said, do you know if Xfinity series and trucks will continue to have the larger size fields like last year? And we do know that the races with qualifying, the plan, um, the races with qualifying would be 36 for Xfinity and uh, 32 for truck, I believe, correct? We're still going to start 40, though. So the catch there would be they're only going to pay yeah. 36, but they're going to start yes. 40. And, and look, that's a good amendment to the rule here. There's nothing stopping us from starting 40 cars at these speedway races. When, when more cars or trucks show up, let's start them. That's fine. We don't, we don't have a problem with that. But we understand financially what the model is built around. And, and you kind of have to reward the people that have, A, shown up every week, and B, competed and, and qualified their way into an event, and you're rewarding that financially. Yeah. So I think that's a good compromise. You know, it's kind yeah, of the middle definitely. of having 40 and 36. So <clears throat> that for sure is a good compromise in the middle. I'd like to see that. So. Uh, let's see here. We have, what are some, who are some of the drivers we can, and this could make us think a little bit, who are some of the drivers in NASCAR that are not in the top three NASCAR series that you could see in the top three NASCAR series. So maybe we're talking, if we're, if we're wanting to give a little shout out here to maybe some late model drivers, some ARCA drivers, uh, is there anyone that comes to mind for you? Ooh, this is tough, but one of those guys that I would have said is actually getting that shot this year. And that's Josh Berry in the eight car for, for, for junior motorsports. So he's getting that shot. Uh, and the other people that immediately jump out to me are Steven Nassi in, in late models and also Bubba Pollard. And the two of them have become kind of these polarizing rivals in late models. And, and how fun would that be? Excuse me to have that, you know, at, at the top three national series level, I think, the, the personalities there, to me, fit the truck series like so well. Uh, it would be really fun to see that kind of play out on the national scale. Yeah, I would love to see that for sure. I'm really excited for Josh Berry. I'm excited for the eight car in general because you got Josh Berry. Uh, we know we've really never seen his uh, full potential. I think he can come in there and do very well. Because um, that eight car for junior motorsports, it really hasn't done anything since it's you know been the eight car. Yeah. There's one guy here. Really, though, and, and I'm surprised this didn't just roll off my tongue, given how much of the Chili Bowl I just watched. Yeah, It's Rico Abreu. Uh, the fact that Rico Abreu is not currently in a NASCAR ride is still one of the things that blows my mind. I mean, here is a guy that checks every box from a talent standpoint, popularity standpoint, diversity of the sport, check that box too. What more do you really want out of a guy? And yet he's not in our series. And obviously, I think that speaks a lot more to the business of the sport as a whole than it clearly does about Rico, because everybody knows he's talented enough to be here. And that's really what we're talking about when we ask these questions, right, RJ? When we go, who ought to be here that isn't? All of us agree, Bubba Pollard, Stephen Nassi, you know, Rico Abreu, the guys that I'm bringing up, they all ought to be here. They're not, it's not because of talent, it's because of other stuff. And, and that's the stuff that I've been really vocal about for better or worse. And the thing that we hope that they get a shot further down the road, because all of us are so interested in seeing it. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully he gets a pot uh, potential ride because we know he's a talented dirt driver, but we know he's a talented driver because we've seen him in the truck series and he has, he did pretty solid with his opportunity at Thor support. So 
hopefully uh, a ride comes soon for him because that, that chili bowl is a great show. Congratulations to, to Kyle Larson. I mean, that crazy flip, Christopher Bell. I mean, it looked like they were going to have an incredible battle coming to the final laps, and then Christopher, well, he just might have drove it in a little too hard or overcorrected it. And man, hey, he went for it. He went, well, for, he went it. for it. He went for a ride, that's for sure. He <laughs> yeah, he did. It. Oh, man, that was a crazy flip. But um, after that crazy race, uh, we'll answer this question here. Favorite race ever? I'll let you go. Ooh, my favorite race ever that I've ever watched – you know, there's one that really stands out to me, and, and it's not one that really left me with a happy emotion, but one that, that had me screaming at my television in the moment, and that was Kevin Harvick winning the Daytona 500 over Mark Martin in a very close race. And, and Mark Martin was driving for a smaller team, the, the 01 car with U.S. Army on the side of the car, Mark Martin famously Hall of Famer and one of the best to ever do it, but didn't win a Daytona 500, didn't win a championship. And here it was coming down, checkered flag in the air, shot to win it and gets edged out by Kevin Harvick by less than a bumper. And and that race had so many twists and turns in it. Uh, Wound up finishing kind of at night. I remember the, the paint schemes and, and kind of the glow and the reflections off those cars and how vivid that was uh, in those Gen 4 cars that we had at the time. And, man, what an incredible event in our biggest race and right down to the wire with a guy that, that you couldn't help but root for and, and missed it by an inch and got out of the car and, and was, it couldn't have been – more of a pro about it and just made you respect him even more. So, I mean, that I, I want to say that was probably like 2000, it was mid 2000s, right? RJ, when that, when that 2007 Daytona 500. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just watched that probably about three, four days ago, the 2007 Daytona 500. They were playing it on the FS2. So I was like, why not? So I watched it. Yeah. That was definitely a very, you know, and I bet watching it live, it was even more, you know, right on the edge of your seat. Um, I'm thinking of favorite races ever, and and one that comes to mind for me is not even really a favorite race, just probably the craziest race for me. If I were to think of like a crazy NASCAR race night, it would probably be the 2012 Daytona 500. We call that the Juan Pablo Montoya hit the jet dryer, Daytona 500. That was just crazy because that whole weekend, the race has already been rain delayed, you know, a few times, multiple times. Uh, they finally get the race going. I believe it was Monday night. And it was a pretty solid race. I mean, lap one, they wrecked right after they crossed the the start finish line. Jimmy Johnson gets turned by Elliott Sadler into the wall. Danica Patrick's gone. Uh, Trevor Bain's gone. Bunch of cars are gone. Um, And you start off the race like that. You're like, wow, we just waited two days to watch Jimmy Johnson crash in the wall in the first lap, you know, and half, you know, the back half of the field gets taken out. Uh, They kind of settled down after that. It was still kind of a wild race. He had some wrecks here and there. Uh, Obviously the late race caution, where Juan Pablo Montoya hits the jet jar. And I'm, I remember watching that live. They, they cut back. Um, I'll still always remember this night, this whole weekend. They cut back, and Juan Pablo Montoya's car is on fire, and the track is on fire. 
And that was just crazy. The red flag. And I mean, you're sitting drivers here. on the back stretch, yeah. just hanging out. Hang Dave, out. Dave Blaney was the leader at the time. We didn't even know if we we're going to part for me. I'm sitting there <laughs> after a moment and you know, this car's on fire. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And then I'm looking at the leaderboard. I'm like there, cause they were talking about, okay, maybe if this race is called, I'm like, Dave Blaney's in the lead of the Daytona 500. He had and, and there was, there was definitely a thought of like, well, I mean, I don't know if we're going to go back racing. I mean, the track is literally on fire. They had to get tied out there on the road. They literally got tied out there to like clean the jet fuel off. That turned into a tide ad that they ran the rest of the year. <laughs> it was, it was really this, this bonkers thing. Brian Keselowski announced himself to Twitter virally by like oh. taking his phone out of the backstretch, taking a photo <laughs> that became like a Twitter sensation. And all of a sudden Brad Keselowski became kind of the face of NASCAR on Twitter by doing that. And he was yeah, fine what, for it. Yeah. And he got fined <laughs> for it. He would gladly pay that every day for the number of followers yeah. he got from that. So yeah, what a wild race. That's a really good pick. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And then the, the finish. Yeah. When they got going back green, uh, Matt Kenseth ends up winning, but I was just going to throw in a little thing. I don't think anybody had ever gotten fined since the 2012 Daytona 500 for having their phone in the race car until today. <laughs> <laughs> until today, I think that record was broken um, uh, in the ARCA series test. Um, but yeah, that, that race, the 2012 Daytona 500, that comes to mind. Um, I was thinking of something else just really quick. I mean, as of recently, I felt like for, for drama – and for just me missing the old Texas Motor Speedway in the 2014 racing, uh, the 2014 chase or playoff race um, at Texas. I mean, it was great racing. Obviously, when we go back and watch it now, we're like, wow, I really miss this old Texas, old package, you know, like Jeff Gordon and duking it out with Brad Keselowski. I mean, the, the end of the race had everything. I mean, the, yeah. you know, I've, I've watched that race over and over many times and the racing throughout the race was great. Uh, nice green flag runs, strategy, good battles everywhere. Um, but then obviously what everyone thinks about is the final restarts between uh, uh, Gordon, Keselowski, Harvick, Jimmy Johnson. Uh, Jimmy comes up with the win, but, you know, that, that close. And yeah. the race at Martinsville the next year for Jeff Gordon, where he winds up yep. winning and locking himself into Homestead and that kind of that, that joyous celebration there and all that. I mean, there, there's so many that we could pick from. There's so many moments that we love, RJ, and that, that kind of makes us fans of the sport. So here's one question here. Uh, what are your expectations for Live Fast Motorsports, which is the new team uh, by BJ McLeod and Matt Tiff? Uh, they will run this year full time. You know, BJ McLeod asked, announces driver for now. Anyone can come in. You know, you never know. Uh, but expectations, you know, Matt Tift kind of told us expectations on this show. If you want to go back and watch episode number two, we had Matt Tift on here. Um, quick little plug in there. But Matt Tift did say, you know, look, they're not going to go out and spend all their money this year, right? They're preparing for the next-gen car, which is a great strategy. So do we expect Live Fast Motorsports to go out and dominate and win a race? No. They're probably just – and he said it himself. We're probably just going to be hanging around. You know, we're, we'll be hanging around, riding out. We have the charter locked down. Prepare for next year. Um, so, I mean, anything, anything different of your thoughts there? 
No, I think they're going to compete against the guys there in the back of the field. And that's their plan, and, and it's a good plan. Uh, they're going to look at Carl Long's team when they come as an open team, and they're going to go, okay, we want to beat them. They're going to look at the Rick Ware cars. Okay, we want to beat them. Uh, they're going to look at whatever the, the, the other open teams are and go, look, we, we know what our place is here in the field. We're going to try to run 32nd to 34th. And we get and we get it. It's all part of a bigger plan. This is the BJ McLeod model, which is slowly, slowly, slowly build, but still take steps forward, right? So, like, it's not like they're not going to go try to race. They're going to do it. They're just going to really pick their spots. And and I really see them as if you told me to try to guess where that seventy eight car is going to finish in the points, RJ. I, I think if they got a top thirty five spot, they'd probably feel fine about that. For sure. And so here's one question here that we've actually talked about before. This guy says, do you think the Cup Series should have a license like F1 does? And we've talked about this before, about how they, you know, should they have a license? Your thoughts? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Preach. How, how, how hard can I agree with this person? Uh, yes, absolutely. There should be some sort of license points. We should look at this as affiliate series like World of Outlaws, uh, Midgets, Late Models, ARCA, IndyCar, whatever it is, as affiliates. We can grade that on a scale and you kind of have to earn your license in a national series to a level either through excelling and winning or uh, extended participation to where that now when we get drivers up here to these levels as fans, as uh, stakeholders in the sport, we all know who's up here that we're racing against and that they've really earned their way here. And I think that's fair for everybody. I don't think anybody would really have a problem with it. Yeah, and I think there's a good balance in between there because we know so some people on the outside can look at it as like, oh, why is this guy getting a shot, right? But this isn't like the NBA or the NFL, like your average sports league. We're, we're not just promoting people by skill every time because unfortunately there is money. There is a lot of other things that go into this sport with sponsorship, with money. And I feel like there is a way to get a good compromise, you know, in between there. Okay, you're you're funded, but have you made an ex? You know, have, you've made one Xfinity truck start, you know, and we'll see what what they do. I mean, that that would be a good investment to have, you know, some sort of license, some sort of requirement. And look, it doesn't have to be. Look, it's obviously it's going to have to be formal, but but obviously the informal version of this that we're talking about here is you look at what the other series are that you would say, okay. In order to get a license in Xfinity or trucks, we would like to have seen you participate in high-level late model racing, World of Outlaws, IndyCar, IMSA, you know, some other like kind of accredited level series of racing. And again, either as a winner, we're like, hey, I was the champion of the Southern Super Series last year. I should be able to run trucks. Okay, that makes sense to me. I get it. Or, hey, I finished in the top five of the World of Outlaws sprint car series last year. All right. That makes sense to me. Okay, cool. And it's mainly for the image of the sport as a whole to keep that as a little bit of the, the image that we've lost here, RJ, is that there is one no doubt in the world that the all the 100 drivers that are they're competing out there in the truck series and Xfinity and cup series each and every week are the best drivers in the world. 
Yeah. 30 years ago, everybody believed that. Everybody said, man, those guys out there in NASCAR, they might sound a little redneck at times, but those guys can drive. And those are the best drivers in the country. No matter what short track they're winning on, they find their way to NASCAR. We've lost a little bit of that now. And I think there's a way to restore that. And it's through the licensing process. Yeah. So that's for sure. Something they could invest in, something we could look into in the future. So one last question here uh, that somebody asked. It asked about merchandise, and I know uh, for you, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, here on the screen. <laughs> uh, we got the Martins Motorsports uh, shop for Tommy Joe Martins. Says Como, Mississippi, right here. Big, big shout, Lefty Designs, right there. Big shout, yeah. Lefty, on Twitter. Awesome, yeah. For the uh, for the shirt designs, he did just about all of them uh, yeah. on there. Yeah. So killer killer job by him and and i've collaborated with a few different people on those so it's not all lefty but he did the majority of them and and what an awesome designer did a great yeah, job yeah lefty does a great job with everything he does uh whether it's car design shirt design uh anything so definitely if you want your tommy joe martin's merch go get it uh it's out there looking great um and as for other merch you know we'll see we'll see what we do with uh, merchandise and everything like that but uh, I, I've really appreciated doing this Q and A um, for everybody. Definitely Sending loved in it. Questions, uh, love to get, and we'll you know we'll find some other things to do with uh, that are interactive uh, with the podcast. I know the next few weeks we'll probably have some guests on. So uh, appreciate everybody tuning in, and I'm I'm glad we've kind of had an episode dedicated to the Q and A. So Daytona 500 entry list is filling up. Three weeks, three weeks, man. We're three weeks away from the Daytona 500 week and speed weeks. It's coming up quick. Wow. That's man. I, I didn't even, I honestly didn't even realize that. And until you just said it right now, three weeks away uh, until speed week. So can't wait to get there. And uh, that's been it for episode number 12. If you made it this far, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Drivers Meeting Podcast today, wherever you may be, and hope you stay tuned for upcoming episodes on Apple Podcasting, Spotify, and the Believe Podcasting Network.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.